Well, welcome to our podcast. I'm Captain Jonathan Raymer with the Salvation Army here in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Augusta Croc Church here at the Salvation Army Croc Center. Uh, you can find us on, the, on our Facebook page. You can find us uh, on our, our websites as well. But I just wanted to uh, invite you in uh, to our podcast. We've just started a sermon series called Welcome Home. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So God bless you, and thank you for joining. I pray that for each and every one of us, that God would graft us together, because Scripture is clear. They will know that we are Christians by our love for each other. May we share that love with one another. How are you today, Sergeant Major? I'm fine. Good. It's good to see you. <laughs> So, a couple questions for you. First, how did Christ become real in your life? It's a long story, my dear. <laughs> I, Someone sent me a, a picture, uh, 1949, 1950, of one of the first I first attended. Howard Park Corps in Weirton, West Virginia. Um, it was at a vacation Bible school where Captain Dan Bates was the officer in charge. I'm sure he's passed on by now. Um, so you can figure out, I'm pretty old, then come to the army. Anyway, how did I come to Christ? I learned about um, Jesus. I learned about all the Sunday school courses. I didn't know Jesus. Yeah. I didn't really know him. Um, used to make fun of the preachers. My dad was from Kentucky and had this old Kentucky preachers who used to uh, shout, and then they'd say something. I said, well, the reason they're shouting is I'm trying to think what to say next. And my brother and I sat on the back, and we tried to push the button when they were going to shout, eh. And I got caught. Of course, I got spanked really good for that. Anyway, the lady next door, lived next door to me, Mrs. Seibert, uh, I don't remember her first name, she had cancer. <clears throat> I watched her wither away. She was a joy in the neighborhood, but she was dying. But one night, at the new core building on Cove Road, we moved half a mile away from the old core. I, I found Jesus. Amen. Went to the altar and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And the thing I remember is I felt clean. I felt fresh. I felt everything was taken away and I felt new. And the first person I wanted to tell that to was Mrs. Seibert. She was dying. And I, I knew that she needed to know the Lord. Well, I think Abraham Lincoln says, everything I am, I owe to my mother. Well, everything that I am, I owe to Jesus. Uh, Michael puts on there, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. And he puts it on his uh, site all the time. And that's true. Uh, only one life, as soon as we pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. So uh, my, my aim, my goal is to do more. Let him use me more. And become less and less that he can become more and more. Amen. So that leads right into what you kind of answered here. How does having a relationship with Christ affect who you are? It affects everything we are, everything we do. Uh, I spent some time in the military. And uh, that's not always the place where you encounter Jesus. Uh, and 
only time I heard his name was, was taken in vain. But I got, I got to go to different countries and see uh, God's hand and work in other countries. Now he has blessed the United States. And um, I met some Christians along the way and had some good experiences with the Lord. I remember in, in Turkey, we had to go behind closed doors to worship the Lord because uh, that was not a, a, a welcome thing in, in Turkey. And uh, you'd hear the sound of the Muadines uh, calling uh, to prayer uh, three times a day. They put their little rugs down and bow, bow down toward Mecca. And uh, we had to hide away. We had to go somewhere and hide away. But thankfully, we were able to witness openly to those in, in our uh, work area. Uh, in, uh, in the Azores, uh, we had a little chapel and sang in the choir. Uh, got to encounter Jesus in many, many ways. My family and I went to Germany. We had a little church, uh, a Methodist church, uh, not too far from where we were. Went to a, an army chaplain. Uh, learned some songs there that we don't sing in the Salvation Army, but a lot of songs that we do sing. Uh, but everywhere you go, there's a chance to witness for Jesus, and he makes things right. Amen. So the last question I have for you today, has God called you to do something uncomfortable and how did you respond? <laughs> I think we always have to get outside our comfort zone. You know, you, you wouldn't think I'm a very shy person. Uh, ask my wife, when I'm at home, I don't say a whole lot. Um, <laughs> and it's not because I couldn't get a word in edgewise for that. <laughs> no. Uh, but I'm very uh, into myself, and uh, not, that, not to be about myself, but uh, I'm a person who can learn on their own, who reads on their own. I like to read the scriptures, and I was telling the class, every time I read the scriptures, God speaks to me in a, in a new way. Uh, we do a Bible study every other week with uh, the Vince family, and uh, every time we read a scripture, and I've been through the Bible several times, but it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, it's how many times the Bible's been through you. And every time I read something, God opens up a new, a new heaven. I never, never thought of it that way before. The Holy Spirit teaches us day by day by day. And yeah, I'm, I called to do, you said to write what we're and do this. Uh, I'm not one to actually be out in front of people. I'd rather be behind the scenes, really. Uh, but if that's what it takes and sometimes we have to take our stand the best place to take your stand is in the supermarket when they overcharge you or the person in front of you uh, brings out their checkbook and it takes them forever to write the check out and you're standing there saying uh, can't we ever get through this line that's the time when God says hey you represent me yeah. act like so yeah, he always asks us to do things probably where I come from. We don't want to go and talk to our neighbor. We don't go and say, that's, that's the captain's job. He's supposed to go visit people. I don't want to have to go visit people and talk about Jesus. But you know, when you do, you always feel better. And you always receive more than you give. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sergeant Major. I, I, uh, I am, we are truly blessed 
Miss Accord to have you as our Sergeant Major and a steady, loving hand. And so this, this morning as we close this part up, I would just ask, uh, we're going to be praying over the Sergeant Major and of course his family and his lovely wife as well. But if, if you would like to just stretch your arm out towards uh, us as we pray over them today, let's pray together. Father, we again are just grateful. You do wondrous things. Uh, and so often we miss them because we're busy or we're jaded or fill in the blank. Father, but, but help us to see your, the works of your wondrous hand. Father, we thank you for the Gillow family. We thank you that you uh, saw fit for them to be here, uh, to be able to minister alongside each and every one of us and to minister to each of us as well. Uh, Father, we pray specifically for the Sergeant Major. Uh, we thank you for his, uh, this, the, um, the way that he carries himself in a dignified, uh, God-like, or a uh, Christ-like manner. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that, that he is truly approachable and loving in so many ways. Uh, Father, we, we pray that you would uh, be with him and his family, that you would bless them. Uh, we pray for these things in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Well, good morning. How is everyone today? Doing good. Doing good. Good, good. For those of you who cannot tell, I will let you in on a secret. I am not. Major Amanda. <laughs> really? No. Somehow, somehow, someway, I am simultaneously less hairy and more hairy at the same time. So I don't know if you could tell that I'm not Major Amanda, but I'm not. She's actually at home. Many of you will know, and please uh, be in prayer for Maddox. She has bronchitis. Yeah. Uh, and so be in prayer for her. She woke up. She was raspy. She's doing well, doing really well, getting better and all that. And then this morning, uh, uh, through the night, was being was raspy and all that. So they're at home. Um, they're at home uh, taking care of that. So be in prayer for her, please. God is so good uh, and so grateful to be here with you this morning, this Labor Day uh, weekend. Thank you for coming. Uh, today, God has something special for each and every one of us today. And you will know we're continuing in our Welcome Home series, this redemption story. Now, you didn't know when you came in that I was going to quiz you maybe a little. Do you remember who we've talked about so far? Who did we talk about last week? Now, I wasn't here, but I know who we talked about last week. Oh, good. Everyone glad. Glad they're sinking <laughs> No, Ruth, Ruth there, Ruth and Naomi, yeah, we've talked about Naaman and Peter, we talked about, you remember the first one that we did? That was like four weeks ago, who can remember? The prodigal son? Today we're going to look at a little different story in Jonah. Now, when we say Jonah, I'm sure because, you know, we've been to Sunday school, we've heard the stories, even those who haven't been to Sunday school have an idea of the story of 
Jonah. And so when I say the name Jonah, I am sure the things that come to mind, probably a whale. That's normally the thing that comes to mind, Jonah and the whale. And of course, we're going to be looking at that, but I want to see past that part of the scripture because we see that we talk about that Jonah and the whale, which really scripture says it was a big fish, but you know, something big, swallow him up and then spit it. And scripture says they spit him, he vomited him out. So if you remember the story of Jonah, you remember that God called Jonah to go somewhere. Do you remember where? Nineveh, yeah, I'm trying to get your minds engaged. It's boring when I'm just up here talking and you're not engaged in it. And, and Sergeant Major, I will confirm, when a preacher is yelling, it is to figure out what he's going to say next. So if you see me yelling, that's what's happening. So he went, he was called to go to Nineveh. Did he do that? No, he fled. He found a boat. And he started heading to, do you remember where? Tarshish. Yeah, who said that? Let's go. Go for you, buddy. Gold star. Then what happened? A storm came. And the sailors on the boat, what happened? They figured out that it was because of Jonah's disobedience. And they, they yeeted him over the side of the they threw him over the side of the boat. I'll, I'll translate that. They threw him over the side of the boat. And what happened? He got swallowed whole. So in that, he was stuck, trapped in the belly of this whale or fish. He was stuck, trapped in there. Now we think, you know, you've seen the, the movie, it's an older Disney movie, but Pinocchio, you've seen that, right? Right, and when they go into the belly of the whale, like the whole ship goes in there and there's like all this room. You remember that? Like there's just tons of room to just kind of, no, that's probably not what happened with Jonah. Jonah was probably tight in there, not much room to move around. And in that, he cries out to God, deliver me from this fish. Now, I like sushi, but I don't know how I'd feel if a fish ate me. Oh, no. So at that, he is then taken and spit out onto the shoreline. Now, in my mind's eye, I always get the view that he was spit out right there at Nineveh, but that's not what happened, right? He was spit out at the shoreline, and then he had to travel to Nineveh. There's something there to that. So often I think we, we now God sometimes tees it up perfect for us, but sometimes God says, no, you need to walk a little to get to where I'm sending you. You need to go. You need to put some skin in the game a little bit. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches God's judgment on the Ninevites. So we, we open them here. Those are the first three chapters. We then start in chapter four, uh, looking at the starting in the third verse. Chapter four of Jonah, starting with the third verse. And scripture says this, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. He walked into the city day one, started preaching to the Ninevites. And what did the Ninevites do? They didn't say, look at this crazy guy, get out of here. What did they do? They received the message and they repented. You would think this is cause for great celebration for Job. After all, this is why he was sent. Right? He was sent there to proclaim judgment against the Ninevites. You repent or God will overthrow you in 40 days. And the Ninevites don't harden their hearts. They say, oh, no. And they put on sackcloth, right, which is a, a form of mourning. We have, we have uh, hurt God. We have sinned against God. And they repent. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with passion, compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on the destruction he had threatened. And this is where our story picks up here in chapter 4 again. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is Jonah talking to God. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now think of this. Jonah runs away from his calling. Then accepts his calling and heads to Nineveh. Then does what God has called him to do and preaches to the Ninevites. Repent, God's coming to destroy you in 40 days. will overthrow you. And the Ninevites do just that. They repent. And what does Jonah do? Does he rejoice? Say, oh God, you are so great. Thank you for using me to bring upon salvation to this massive city that takes three days of walk across. Does he do that? No! What's he do? He pouts like a petulant child. He is so angry with God. Don't you know these people deserve to die? Jonah was angry. He was angry. 
not our ways. And sometimes when God does things we don't think he should, we get mad. These people deserve what's coming to them. And Jonah is angry. He had no compassion on Nineveh. They were ruthless, wicked. They were a pagan city. Why should they be shown grace and be redeemed? Have you ever had those thoughts about someone or a situation? Have you ever had them? You don't have to, you don't have to confess to me. But have you ever had those thoughts? That person is so far gone, they could never be redeemed. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, help us. Who are we? So often we use that as a way of feeling better about ourselves and our own sins and our own relationship with Christ and our own relationship with one another that we look at other people and say they could never. And when they do, that makes us reflect on our own heart and our own thoughts and our own mind and it's, oh. I believe we can sympathize with Jonah a little bit in that moment because if we were honest, we've all been there. We've all had those moments with people in our lives that we have so willingly dismissed away from God's redemption plan. Just as Jonah, we too sometimes fail to see the parallel between our story and theirs. Jonah had literally just been spared from God's judgment when he answered his plea and redeemed him from the belly of the well. Sometimes you and I get so wrapped up in what we do not think people deserve that we become completely clouded to how little we deserve as well. Let me say that one more time and let that just sink in and digest that for a minute. Sometimes you and I get so wrapped up, we get so concerned in what we do not think other people deserve that we become completely clouded to how little we deserve as well. You and I are sinners saved by the grace God. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot follow all the commandments well enough. You cannot be the perfect this enough. You cannot do it by yourself. We were born into a carnal, sinful nature. And because we were born into a carnal, sinful nature, we were in open rebellion against God. And we told God, we will be our own gods. We will do our own thing. You just leave us alone. And God still, still sent his very best to that, to me, 
And God still, now when I am in full relationship with him and standing before you as a preacher and a pastor and an officer as a Salvation Army, and when I still fail, God still is there for me. You are not and never will be good enough, but no one, there is no one holy, no, not one. But praise God, we believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses our sin and the fire of the Holy Spirit that purifies us for all righteousness. What we deserve is death. What we get, what we get is eternal life. Friends, when we look at other people and we say they don't deserve that, no, 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 just check your heart. Where's that coming from? Mercy is good, but should it interfere with justice? Hmm. That is what seems to baffle Jonah. Where's the justice, God? Don't you know what they've done? The pain they have wrought on themselves and others? Jonah gets a little bit more dramatic about it. It was one thing to be angry because of feeling that one sense of justice is being betrayed. But really, Jonah gets to the point where it is better to die than to live. This is where he goes. This is where he says, Therefore now, O Lord, Jonah here speaking to God, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's getting a little dramatic. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? You see, the NIV translated the question this way. Had you any right to be angry? And the root of the word translated angry is to burn or to kindle. So if we put that together, do you have any right to burn or kindle over this? Right? When we look at these things together, he is not so much asking if Jonah has the right to be angry, but whether Jonah is getting carried away with his anger. Friends, it's being angry is part of life. Getting upset, getting mad. Christ got angry. The question is, does your anger control you? There's all there is a righteous place, and we can talk about that another day when we look at Jesus and what he did in the temple. But does your anger control you? You see, Jonah is pushing things here. So much so that God is giving warning that Jonah is letting his anger cloud his sense of judgment. We're so angry and we're so emotional that we allow that to cloud our senses of judgment. Allow us to cloud how we view things. Verse 5, it says, Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he left the city, sat on a hill, and watched the city in his anger. 
He still hopes for the destruction of Nineveh. This is God's prophet. He throws up a makeshift shelter that offers partial shade from the intense rays of the sun. He sits down and waits for something bad to fall upon the city. <laughs> Little does he know that he is falling into his very own God-taught object lesson. Verse 6 here of chapter 4. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over him. Come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Do you, do you see that? You see where this is going? But when, when dawn came upon the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint, so that he was faint. You see, God appoints a plant to grow. He appoints a worm to attack the plant and kill it. He appoints a scorching east wind. If you go back and you look in chapter 1, verse 17 of Jonah, you see that the Lord had appointed the fish. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, he is credited with hurling a great wind on the sea. We see here God appointing nature to do his will. Sometimes used for our teaching, our, for his purposes. Again, Jonah wants to die. This time the cause seems to be the suffering he is experiencing. He is in desert conditions and possibly suffering from heat stroke. It is understandable how one's suffering can lead to wanting death to put an end to such pain. But God's question to Jonah reveals a different cause. Verse 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant, he said. And Jonah, and Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You get, like, Jonah, anyone have toddlers, like little kids? When you talk to little kids, like they're so dramatic about everything. Like it's just, oh, that's what I feel like this interaction is between God and Jonah. Jonah's being extra. And the Lord said, then you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah is upset for the fate of the plant. He pitied the plant. Was it because he loved the plant? No. No, he didn't love that plant. His affection for the plant was because of the plant's ability to provide him comfort. It was about what the plant could give him. He valued the plant for what the plant did for him and nothing more. Friends, be very careful when you value people for what they can do for you and nothing more. Now the Lord moves in. He points out to Jonah that he did not labor for the plant, nor did he make it grow. It is one of the things to, it is one thing to invest oneself in something and then lose it, but Jonah had done nothing. 
In contrast, Nineveh is a city that had existed for hundreds of years. And it existed precisely because the Lord labored to bring it into existence and to grow as he does with all of his creation. He is deeply invested in all living things, but especially mankind that he has made in his own image. And if Jonah has pity on a single planet that does not know of its own existence, should not the Lord have pity on a city filled with people who do not have true knowledge of what real is? And so ends the book of Jonah with a question. We do not hear Jonah's response. Instead, he is the one person who leaves us hanging, pouting on the hill. However, the pagans fear God, the king of Nineveh repents, and the people of Nineveh repent and are redeemed, even if Jonah does not approve. Jonah's assignment to Nineveh is not so much about what Nineveh needed to learn as to what Jonah needed to learn. So it is with us. It was Jonah who needed to experience salvation from death. And it was Jonah who needed to learn what God's mercy truly entailed. Jonah had the head knowledge. He knew the scriptures, what the scriptures said, but he needed to have what he knew in his head be driven into his heart. Are there lessons that you and I can learn from Jonah? Absolutely. Is your own anger or indifference with someone in your life preventing you from sharing the story of redemption? Do you have people in your life that you just kind of written off? Jonah had no intention of winning anybody to anything. And so, though he could never have had a better opportunity to convert pagans to following the one true God, he walks away from his call. He walks out of the city that has responded positively to his preaching that should make anyone happy, but his anger at God led him to abandon his post. He was sent to Nineveh, and when they repented, he abandoned them and sat on the hill and hoped that God would destroy them anyway. Woo, that's a special kind of angry. Now, I, I've never experienced that in my own calling by God. I've never had it where I then sat on the hill and like I want them to be destroyed to that level. But I have experienced where I go in and and I interact with people, and maybe the person that I'm interacting with, like I see them and they're, they're not going to accept Christ. Well, why am I wasting my time? Oh, Lord, may, may you soften mine. May you soften our hearts to those around us. May we see them as you see them. You see, God was not acting the way Jonah wanted. <laughs> you relate to that? God, you're not answering me the way I want. You're not doing what I want you to do. You know, you're not helping me in the way I want you to help. And so Jonah walks away. Twice. He turned back to his original disobedient self and forgot about his own redemption story. 
must be careful of letting anger and indifference or fear take us the wrong way. The Pharisees had the same distaste for sinners as Jonah did for the Ninevites. You know, when you read the Gospels and you see the Pharisees and how they treated those who they felt were beneath them, friends, we see Christ, the example of Christ, who sat down and had dinner with sinners, who sat down with the people that the Pharisees said weren't good enough. And Christ says, who are you to decide who is good enough? Because none of us are. And yet Christ still says to me, you are my child who I love. With you I am well pleased. Mercy is what sinners need, that they may forsake their sin and turn to the Lord. And when one does not and when one does turn to the Lord, it is mercy more than sacrifice that the Lord desires to see in his people. Jesus made his sacrifice on the cross so that mercy might be given to us. That is the gospel. And that is the gospel for us to display in our lives to sinners and to enemies. We who have received mercy may now give mercy. The whole point, right, of this redemption story, the whole thing about this Welcome Home series is when we talk about grace, grace is going so much beyond what is expected. What is expected for you and me is that God was turned his back. You have forsaken me enough. You are now left to your own devices. Did God do that to you? Did he ever do that to you? No, in fact, did he not, not only did he not do that to you, he prepares a place for us to feast together. That's grace. That's salvation. And you and I want to pick and choose sometimes what God has called us to do and what we're willing to do for God. And God says, no, no, no. What I ask of you, I ask for a reason, for a purpose. And we say, no, but not that. Not that. Why not that? This morning, is there someone that you have trouble witnessing to or talking to about Jesus because of what they have done? Because of what they maybe have personally done to you. I want you to put their names on your minds and on your hearts. Pray that God will break down the barriers and allow you to see them as God sees them. The song that we had on earlier, Reckless Love, that is God's love for you and me. It is reckless. It will break through anything to get to us. You and I are a part of Christ's body. Do we exhibit that reckless love of God for others? I will do whatever. You know, our, our founder, William Booth, used to say, you know, he said once that I know of. If by learning to stand on my head, one more person would come to salvation, I will learn to stand on my head. Do we have that kind of attitude towards getting people saved? I will do whatever to 
get those who need salvation to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning I was going to have uh, music played during this time, but I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to instead, during this time, do you have someone in mind? Do you have someone in mind? If you do, come to the altar. Bring their name to the altar before the throne of God. Do you have something in mind that God is calling you to do that you maybe have said, ah, I don't know about that. Bring it to the altar this morning. Won't you come? No need for music. Won't you come in silence and give that name to Christ today? Give that calling to Christ today. Because not only are we a part of our own redemption story, we are a part of someone else's redemption story too. Won't you come?